to the Birch Meadow Way podcast. We are students that go to Birch Meadow Elementary School. We will share what we have learned in school and our personal interests with you in this totally student-created podcast. You will learn about a lot of cool science and social studies topics. This podcast also includes non-school-related segments like a joke segment, book buzz segment, and story time. If you like this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you can get new episodes quicker. Make sure to check out our website too. Without further ado, let's get started. Hi, this is Esme. Do you love hearing real stories about amazing women who changed the world? Then keep listening. In the next few minutes, you will learn about Harriet Tubman, Sacagawea, and Ruby Bridges, and how they shaped our world today. Enjoy, and thank you for listening to our podcast. Harriet Tubman was born a slave in Maryland somewhere between 1820 and 1822. Uh, Harriet Tubman's birth name was at Mida Ross or Minty. From a young age, Minty took care of infants. If she misbehaved, she would be whipped. When Minty was still a young girl, two of her sisters were sold away, and sadly, she never saw them again. When Minty was the age of 12, she was running an errand to a nearby store. The first thing she saw was a black man running from his owner. The owner was yelling at Minty to stop him. Minty did nothing. She wanted the man to be free. The owner then threw a two-pound weight at the man, missed, and hit Mindy instead. Even in pictures of her as an adult, you can still see the scar on her head. After that, Mindy started working with her father, chopping wood. She would bring the wood to free black sailors who would ship it to the north and learn about ways to escape from slavery. In the 1840s, Minty met her first husband, John Tubman. After she married, Minty changed her name to Harriet after her mother, and she became Harriet Tubman and freed over 700 slaves on the Underground Railroad, a way for slaves to escape through the forest. Harriet knew the land, so she helped others escape from slavery into the northern states where slavery was illegal. After Harriet escaped herself, she went back to the South 17 times to save friends, family, and many strangers, risking her life to save others, a truly courageous act. Um, Sacagawea was born in May 1778 into the Achadika tribe in the Lemmy Shoshone, which is now Idaho, in 1800. She was 12 years old, um, and her and three other girls were kidnapped and taken as prisoners to the uh, Hidushi village by the Hidushi Native Americans to where it was now North Dakota and was later sold into marriage to a French-Canadian man named Torsant Charbonnet. A year later, Sacagawea was pregnant with her first baby. A little, a little after she got pregnant, Captain Meriwether Lewis and William Clark came somewhere to the Hida she villages where they built Fort Manton and hired Sacagawea's husband with understanding that Sacagawea would come along. Lewis later wrote in his journal, a woman with a party of men is a token of peace. Shortly after Sacagawea gave birth to a, to a little boy, 
named Jean Baptiste, who Clark called Poppy. Sacagawea was very helpful speaking with native tribes, showing the way across the land and finding food. Ruby Bridges was born in Tylertown, Mississippi on September 8, 1954. When Ruby was four, her family moved to New Orleans to start a better life in the city. Ruby was forced to share a room with her sister and two little brothers. There in New Orleans, six other girls took a test that would determine if Ruby and the other girls could go to white schools. And if Ruby and the other black girls passed, they could go to a white school. On the first day of school, Ruby and her mother drove to the school with men from the government and tons of protesters gathered in front of the school yelling hateful things at Ruby. Most girls would be scared, but not Ruby, as she walked along among the protesters without looking at them, just as she was told. No one let their kids go to school. No one wanted their kids um, to go to school with Ruby. Ruby got her... When Ruby got to her classroom, her teacher welcomed her, welcomed her with open arms. After a while, around a year, protesters stopped coming and let their kids go to the school with Ruby. Ruby made a huge impact on today's world by her bravery and courage. Who was your favorite woman to learn about? Who inspired you? Who made you happy? Who made you shocked? Thank you for listening to our podcast. Bye. Welcome to Sports Hub. In this segment, we'll be sharing information about famous athletes. Hi, this is Charlie, Brendan, Owen, and Reed. Today, we will be talking about Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Douglas Gretzky is a Canadian former professional ice hockey player and former head coach. He played 20 seasons in, in the National Hockey League for four teams from 1979 to 1999. He was born on January 26, 1961. He's currently 60 years old, and he lives in Brantford, Canada. Wayne Gretzky's career ended in 1999. His wife is Janet Jones. Wayne Gretzky's children are Paulina Gretzky, Emma Gretzky, Ty Gretzky, Trevor Gretzky, and Tristan Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky's quotes are, You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. A good hockey player plays where the puck is. A great hockey player plays where the puck is going to be. Thank you for listening. Bye. Welcome to the Joke Junction. Get ready to have your funny bone tickled. Aiden, how is an English teacher like a judge? I don't know. They both give sentences. Cam, knock, knock. Who's there? Ben. Ben who? Ben on a summer vacation. (laughs) Hey, Brendan, what did a square say to the circle? I don't know. Been around long? (laughs) Hey, Owen, what is one trait that squirrels all have in common? What? Being nutty. Hey, Charlie, what is white when it's dirty and black when it's clean? I don't know, Cam. What? A blackboard. (laughs) Hey, Cam, 
What has a hundred heads and a hundred tails? I don't know. What, Charlie? A hundred pennies. Are you relaxing on the beach building sandcastles and then you see a giant 300-foot wave? Hi, welcome to the Forces of Nature Tsunamis. We are going to tell you a lot about tsunamis. First, we will explain what a tsunami is. Then, we will explain the cause of tsunamis. After that, we will explain the effects. Next, we will explain how tsunamis are measured. Also, we will explain ways to predict tsunamis and stay safe. Finally, we will share some first-hand experiences from real people in real life. Now, let's get into it. A tsunami is a big wave that is caused by earthquakes or landslides when the tonic plates shift and form a big wave. Tsunamis are mostly on the coast and can destroy towns. Most tsunamis are huge, but they can be bigger. The biggest tsunami was 1,744 feet tall and 600 miles per hour. That's faster than a jet plane. Did you know that a ship on the ocean can't feel a tsunami's wave pass Have you ever wondered what causes tsunamis? Well, here's a list of things that do. Some causes of tsunamis are tectonic plate movement, volcanoes, falling asteroids, or landslides. The line between the plates is called a fault. Tectonic plates are always in motion. They can make huge waves of energy that usually move in all directions. The waves spread out below the surface so they are barely noticeable. Plate movement can result in a sudden release of energy. We call it an earthquake, and that is what causes a tsunami. For example, Krakato is a volcanic island in Indonesia. Its eruption in 1883 was the most dangerous in record history. The island exploded and two-thirds of it plunged into the sea, and that triggered a tsunami. Hi, I'm going to tell you about the effects of tsunamis. Let's get into it. After a tsunami, there are usually floating objects in the water. A lot of people will be homeless and poor. The trouble does not end there. When the tsunami happens, it can suck people into the ocean, miles away from land. The government will have to pay about a billion dollars from all the destruction. Wow, that's a lot of money. It could take years to clean up. Buildings will be smashed into pieces. A lot of people like to make tsunami shelters for the tsunami survivors. Here's Lila with how they are measured. Hi, we are going to tell you about how tsunamis are measured. Tsunamis are detected and measured by their coastal tide gauges. And also, they also can be measured by their buoys in the ocean. Hello, I will be teaching you about how people predict and stay safe from tsunamis. When scientists tell building companies a tsunami is near, they have to prepare. What they would probably do is build a massive wall made out of metal, steel, and iron to protect the city. Sometimes it does not turn out how the builders expected. Normally the whole plan fails and the tsunami comes dashing forward, destroying the wall and anything in its way. Here's another way. Sometimes scientists broadcast a message saying, A tsunami is here. Everybody off the beach. Try and get to higher ground. Sometimes building companies build boats for the tsunami to go in and hopefully it works and does not destroy buildings. To predict tsunamis, scientists put cameras on buoys. If this happens, they will broadcast a message to everybody. Last but not least, scientists use radars to determine if a tsunami is coming. Here's a story of a girl named Tilly Smith. Tilly thought about how she studied tsunamis in her geography class a few weeks ago. She saw a massive wave and close to the beach. She warned her parents and everyone else on the beach that a tsunami is here. 
Her family made it to higher ground. Five minutes later, the tsunami destroyed everything in the city. Lucky number 81 in Sri Lanka, a two-month-old baby, was separated from his parents. He was tossed by the waves and onto debris. Because no one knew his name, the hospital workers nicknamed him Baby 81. He was the 81st patient they had seen that day. After two months and lots of tests, the baby was reunited with his parents. His real name was Ablisha Jayaraha. Supermodel survivor, fashion model Petra Nomkova was on vacation in Thailand. When a tsunami came, waves swept her into the ocean. She survived by hanging onto a palm tree for eight whole hours. Having experienced the tsunami and its impact, Nomkova started a charity to help children who have suffered from disasters. She has helped build schools, mobile medical units, and lots more. We hope you learned and enjoyed something from Forces of Nature Tsunamis. This has been Parker, Lila, and Charlie. We will see you next time on the Birch Meadow Way podcast. Bye. Hi. I am Avery A. Leah S. Izzy W. And Lila H. We are in a book club for school. We are going to tell you about the wonderful book called Paper Wishes by Lois and Pavin. It is full of suspense and drama. The main character's name is a girl named Manami. She is in this desert village. My favorite part was when Manami got a new dog and her father named it Seal. Me and Lila's favorite part was when they got the lanterns go for the ancestors. My favorite part was when Manami put her dog in her coat pocket and tried to bring him on the desert village. They first had a dog who Manami lost because she put him in her coat. His name was Eugene. We give it an 8-star review out of 10. Only because the ending was a little sad. Overall, this was a really great book. Thank you for listening to our book buzz. We hope you read this book. Happy reading! Bye! Hi guys, I'm Maeve, this is my friend Elliot, and this is our war expert Sam. Hi, I know about people fighting in war and stuff. The Alamo, Spanish for Cottonwood, is a limestone building located in Texas. It was built in 1716 for Spanish missionaries and was originally called Mission San Antonio de Valero. The Alamo has a big history behind its crumbling walls. Let's check it out. Dun 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 dun. Chapter 1, A War. Dun dun. In 1821, Mexico won independence from Spain. At this time, Texas, California, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming, Arizona, and Colorado were Mexican territories. Really? Really! As a matter of fact, about two-thirds of Mexico's original holdings are now part of the United States. Well, in 1832, a Mexican general took control. What was his name again? General Antonio Lucas de Santa Ana. Right. Anyway, Santa Ana took control, voided the country's constitution, and kind of made himself a dictator. Sheesh. Hey, Sam, do you know what happened after that? While Texas rebelled and the court itself independent, Santa Ana sent 2,000 troops to crush the rebellion. And that was the start of the Mexican-American War, as it was later called. Wow. Yep, but all of that happened 10 years before the war. So for the next 10 years, the two countries were doing constant little fights. That's kind of harsh. Dun, 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 dun. Chapter 2, The Battle. Dun, dun, dun. 
Well, now we're going to talk about the Battle of the Alamo. Yes, so a bunch of Texans took over San Antonio, then fleeing to the Alamo, a military fort. Mexican soldiers stormed in, the Battle of the Alamo began. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, actually, the Mexicans killed most of the Texans, executing the others, burning their bodies, and leaving them out for the vultures. Oh my god! Kiki fainted, so, um, let's get to commercial. This podcast is sponsored by Alamo Insurance. Call 777-888-ALAMO for a free cowboy hat signed by the Alamo himself. Hi, I'm the Alamo, and I wrote my name on your hat, so buy it. It's free. That's 777-888-ALAMO for a free cowboy hat. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Chapter 3, Bye-Bye. Why do we have crazy music after bye-bye? Dun-dun-dun. It's for dramatic Well, that's the end. Thanks for listening. That was Maeve, Elliot, and Sam, the expert on people fighting and doing war and stuff like that. Music! Thank you to our resources, BrainPop, Wikipedia, and Duxers. Thank you. Welcome to the Birch Meadow Way podcast story time. Hi, this is Maria. Hi, this is Clara. We're going to read you a story today. It's called Georgie the Griffin and the Dragon's Lair. When Georgie the Griffin woke up on Friday, he did his usual morning chores. He brushed his beak, combed his feathers, ate a breakfast of frozen mice, said hello to his unicorn neighbors, Paige and Kendall, and watered his flowers. Then suddenly, Georgie heard a distinct whooshing sound. He looked up and saw a red and gold scaled dragon above his house. Georgie tried to hide inside his house, but he wasn't fast enough. The dragon picked Georgie up with his claws and carried him into the air. Help! Georgie tried calling, but he and the dragon were much too high for anyone to hear. Now Georgie was starting to get worried. He was a guard for the king and queen of the Griffins, and they would be needing him soon. After several hours, Georgie and the dragon reached the entrance of a wide cave. Up till now, the dragon had been silent, but now it said in a deep voice, This took much longer than expected. That's all right, though. It's nice to have a workout before a feast. Although the dragon's voice was deep, Georgie could tell it was female because of the lipstick she had put on at the beginning of their flight. The red and gold dragon swooped swiftly into her cave and tied Georgie to a chair in the darkest corner. Now stay put. I will eat you for breakfast tomorrow morning, the dragon said in a bossy tone. Then with a graceful glide, she flew near the entrance of the cave and fell asleep instantly. Georgie texted his watch for the time. It's 9 p.m. Looking at his watch reminded Georgie that it could call his unicorn neighbors, Paige and Kendall. He pressed all the buttons he needed to start a call. Paige, Kendall, can you hear me? Georgie asked. Yes, but what could you possibly want this late, Georgie? Paige inquired. Well, a dragon took me to her lair and tied me to a chair. And if I stay here, she's going to eat me. Could you come help The dragon's sleeping right now. Georgie spilled all of the news out at once. Dragon? That's crazy. I've only seen a dragon once when me and Paige's grandpa get kidnapped by one, Kendall said. Yeah, we helped him to get free, so at least we know what to do, said Paige. Be here soon. Bye. Georgie ended the call with his watch and waited and waited some more. Finally, at 10 o'clock, Georgie saw Paige and Kendall at the entrance of the cave with a long pink mane each slicing through the darkness of the cave. 
They carefully climbed around the sleeping dragon and trotted towards Georgie, Paige with a Swiss army knife in her hoof. Suddenly, the dragon started to stir, even though it would have been a gentle movement for any smaller creature. Since the dragon was so big, she made more noise than a herd of elephants. Oh no, Kendall said. When the dragon that kidnapped our grandpa did that, they almost kidnapped me and Paige. We have to hurry. Paige quickly cut the rope tying Georgie to the chair. A little too quickly, actually. The sharp knife cut into Georgie's thick coat of feathers and he yelped in pain. That made the dragon stir even more. She slowly stood up, her red and gold body glittering in the dark of the cave. What are you doing? She roared, rumbling the whole cave. Run, Georgie yelled. He tried to fly out of the cave with Kendall and Paige, but his wing hurt too badly from the cut to fly. No, not without you, Kendall said. She came trotting on her four hoofs towards Georgie. Right behind him, the dragon tried to swipe her claw right through Georgie, but his unicorn friend picked him up onto her back before the dragon got the chance. Georgie, Kendall, and Paige made it to the hospital safely for Georgie's wound. After a week, it was all healed, and all the creatures lived a happy, normal life. Well, at least for a while. The end! Thanks for listening. listening to our episode we hope you had fun listening and we know you learned a lot we certainly had a lot of fun doing it remember to hit subscribe and check out more of our episodes and don't forget to go to the birch meadow wave podcast website learn achieve believe together